I'm Linda McHenry, host of The Writer's Voice, and today's guest is Edith Maxwell, who writes Cozy Mysteries under her own name and also as Maddie Day. Hi, Edith. How are Hi. you doing? Hi, Linda. I'm good. How are you? I am doing great. So you're going to chat with me today about writing three books a year, writing under two different names, and we'll probably talk a little bit about, I'm thinking, the self-discipline involved in all that, because I'm sure many of us would like to know how to be that self-disciplined. But before that, why don't you tell us about your two books that come out this month? All right. One of them is my sixth historical mystery, Taken Too Soon. Lovely cover. It's a historical Quaker midwife mystery. And they normally take place here in Amesbury, where I live. Mm -hmm. But in this book, I take Rose Carroll, midwife, and her brand new husband, David, down to Cape Cod, to West Falmouth. They were going to go anyway to visit her two maiden aunts who couldn't make it to the wedding. And um, the night after the wedding at the reception, she gets an urgent telegram from her Aunt Tilly saying, Franny has been murdered. Rose, you must come immediately. And Franny is Tilly's ward, 16-year-old ward. So their honeymoon has changed a little bit. <laughs> I would guess. Rose gets to know a Native American, a Wampanoag midwife. There are various people who are suspects in the murder. One of them might be her husband's brother, her brand new brother-in-law. And Rose is pretty experienced being an amateur investigator now and figures it out. That's good. That book came out on um, September 8th. A couple days ago, yeah? Yep. And then Candy Slane Murder. There you go. Is my eighth country store mystery. It's a Christmas book, as you can tell by the title. Mm -hmm. And it takes place in December. Robbie Jordan owns a country store breakfast and lunch restaurant in southern Indiana. Got the store all decorated for Christmas, and they're cooking up Christmas specials. And there's a big fire, and her boyfriend, who's an electrical lineman, is there in a a cherry picker, one of those bucket mm -hmm. trucks. And he looks down into the open the roof that the firefighters have had to open and there's a human skeleton in the attic. It turns out a woman went missing ten years earlier, the wife of the man who lives in that. Hmm. Robbie gets a little bit involved. Earlier that day a young a young man has showed up in her restaurant claiming to be her assistant Dana's half brother and Dana didn't know she had a half brother. Her mother never told her that she'd given up a baby for adoption. And he actually becomes a suspect for a while. So Robbie gets involved. And then a few days later, the skeleton, the woman from 10 years ago, her twin sister is murdered. Hmm. So it's a complicated story. And Robbie's desperate to make sure it's all solved before Christmas. <laughs> of course, because you have to have a deadline, right? <laughs> Deadlines everywhere. <laughs> exactly. That's book number 22 and book number 23. There you go. So tell us what it's like writing under two names. They're cozies, right? But they're completely different in storylines and characters and all that. So tell us what it's like writing under two names, but also having to put out three books a year. Sure. Just to mention the historical shelf is historical, but it's, it's a, can be a little darker than a cozy, but it's an amateur sleuth in a in a village, so it's basically the cozy premise. And it's a Quaker, so you're not gonna read swearing or sex on the page. Yeah, yeah. So I also write the Cozy Capers book group mysteries. That's my third series. They take place on Cape Cod and they're contemporary. And that's why you need three books a year because you're doing three series, right? <laughs> I have, I'm under contract for three series, yes. You know, my settings and characters are so real to me. I don't mix them up. A lot of people say, don't you mix up 
those protagonists in those settings? And I go, no, because they really are like real people to me. Like your kids. You don't confuse your kids with each other. Not at all. The great late, unfortunately, Sheila Connolly, mm -hmm. she said that years ago when somebody asked her, because she was writing three, she was always my role model for writing <laughs> three or four series. And she said, no, they're just real. I don't, why, how could I mix them up? So that part keeps them straight. I do my best to write one book at a time. So one first draft at a time. I'm not working on one series in the morning and another in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes that blows up because I'll get, I'm halfway through a first draft on, say, the Quaker Midwife Mysteries, and I'll get in copy edits for a Cozy Capers book, or I'll get in proofs for a Country Store book. And those are due in two weeks, so I have mm -hmm. to put down the first draft, do the earlier deadline thing. Mm -hmm. I have now learned how I sort of taught myself to write a very fast first draft. So I can write a first draft in under two months. I think my fastest was six weeks. Mm -hmm. That gives, so I've got four months to completely produce a book. Mm -hmm. So that gives me another couple of months to really revise it and flesh it out and do all the things that I kind of left out of that fast first draft. My most recent former career was a technical writer. So I wrote software manuals. And that's very sparse. It's a procedural writing. It's like a recipe, right? Mm -hmm. You want to do this? Here's step one. Here's step two. This happens. Here's step three. Boom, you're done. And for the technical stuff, you need an outline and you, you pretty much go with it. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. Or you need Because you have a format, right? You need to know how the thing works and then you write down how to use it. But there's no fluff at all. Right. And so that kind of spilled over into my fiction first drafts. There's no fluff at all, but that means that I may have forgotten to include what my protagonist was thinking and how she was reacting. And I may certainly forgot to include like how that chair felt and what the air smelled like mm -hmm. in the restaurant and all mm -hmm. those things that sort of bring a book to life. So then I turn it in and I start the next book. Now, do you outline them completely? Oh, I don't outline at all. You don't outline at all. Well, I'm okay. not, an, not an outliner, not a plotter. Okay. I have to write a synopsis, a prose synopsis for my mm -hmm. editor before I write the book. I'd mm -hmm. rather not. Like, I'd <laughs> rather just follow my characters around and write down what they do. But he would like at least a 10-page single-space synopsis. Mm -hmm. And the most he's ever gotten is a five-page double-space, and that about killed me. Mm -hmm. But I do not like writing the book before I write the book. That said, it can help me if I'm at all stuck. I'll go look at my synopsis and go, oh, she was going to do that next. So that's a good idea. Let's write that scene. But I don't really get stuck very much. I don't get writer's block. I can't afford to under yeah. contract for three books a year. And I don't know, the ideas flow. Sometimes I have to step away back into my rocking chair and have a pen and paper to brainstorm. Or I go for what I call my plotting walks. So I walk every day all around the streets of my town. And I talk out loud to myself about what needs to happen next. And then I dictate an email to myself and then I walk on. And the ideas rise up when you change yeah. where you are. And I, I think too, for me, uh, I've never had writer's block. I might in this moment not be able to write exactly what it is I want to write in this moment. But if I go write something different or if I switch to a different person's perspective, that's one of the things I've found recently that yeah. changes it. Okay, I'm in this person's point of view. But it's not working, switch to the other person's point of view. And usually I can then go right back and figure out what it was that was the problem. But we each have to find our, whatever it is that's preventing us. And I found if I have, if I can't write something right now, it's because it's not right. It's just a matter of figuring out what's right. 
maybe it actually needs to go in that direction, not that direction. Right, right. So you try different things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you write just a brief outline. That's what your synopsis is. It's just a very, very uh, basic skeleton of the book. And, and I'm sure that you change that, right? I'm sure that as your characters come to life and they do things based on who they are, that must change and that must be fluid. And that's, I'm guessing, why you don't want to pass that in because you know exactly. you're not going to stick to it. <laughs> I'm not going to stick to it anyway. Yeah. When I'm done enough, like when the first draft is done, I'll update that synopsis so it reflects the reality. And I yeah. send the editors in because they base like marketing materials and, you know, the blurb they write for Amazon cover yeah. stuff. They base that on that synopsis I turned in. So yeah. if things change, he needs to know. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. We had a little kerfluffle early on where I didn't know that he needed to know I changed the name of the town. And <laughs> Why did you tell me? I said, well, I thought you were going to read the book. Yeah, there's a lot of that stuff. I know for me with my insurance writing that I do, I'll do an outline. They'll tell me what they want in the course. I'll do an outline. And then when I write it, I never stick with it. I move this around, move that around. And like you said, they're, prom they're marketing promotional materials. Whenever you change that, you have to let them know. You know, so it's kind of good to have structure, but it's really good not to have to stick with it. Exactly. Um, and I mean, it's just like real life. We plan to have certain events go a certain way and stuff messes yeah. with it. It never does that. Exactly. If your exactly. books can reflect that, people tend to like that. Yeah. And characters change their minds too. As I said, they're real people. So they change their minds and go over there. And I just have to follow them. Now you do blogs online too, right? You're a member of a couple of organizations where you do some blog writing as well. I am. So I'm a member of the Wicked Authors. There's six of us. Most of us live in New England or write about New England. Mm -hmm. And we can be found at wickedauthors.com every weekday. So I write a solo post once a month and I sponsor guests. And every Wednesday, we all chime in on Wicked Wednesday. Mm -hmm. um, for those who aren't in New England, Wicked is a modifier meaning really good. Like that's Wicked Awesome. There you go, Wicked. I've had people pick that up. Oh, you're from New England. I'll be teaching and say Wicked and they get that. Yeah. So that's every uh, weekday. And then on the second and fourth Fridays, I post a recipe on mysterylloverskitchen.com. And those are a lot of fun. And I often have giveaways and I often sometimes tie the recipes into one of my books oh, that's because good. my contemporary cozies all have recipes in the back. Oh, that's, that's neat. So there's your theme going there. And people can find your books on your website at edithmaxwell.com. That's right. That's all three series are there and you in both names, Edith and Maddie. All my names, all my people. <laughs> I have five books in the local foods mysteries under Edith Maxwell. That series has ended, but the books are still for sale and people are still buying them and liking them set on an organic farm. And I had two books early on written as Taste Baker that are, were reissued this summer as Edith Maxwell books, the Lauren Rousseau mysteries. All right, good. And I also write um, short stories and have been nominated for an Agatha Award three times for my short stories. And those are all linked on the short fiction list. So, Wow, lots of stuff people can find online with you at edithmaxwell.com. Well, thank you for joining me today. I hope to have you back again. And again, show us your book covers once more. Let everybody know what you've got coming out. We have taken too soon. Candy Slane Murder is end of September. This was the first Cozy Caper book. The second one is Murder at the Taffy Shop, and it will go to wide release on the end of March. Okay. And Charity's Burden came out last year and won an Agatha Award for Best Historical Mystery this year. Way to Best go. That's exciting. So you're famous now. I 
and moderately famous, yes. Wicked famous. <laughs> Wicked famous, although the conference wasn't held in person in May, so yeah. that was a bit of a letdown, but it's always an honor to win a major award named after Agatha. That's right. It's a challenge. There you yeah. go. All right. Well, thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. Certainly. I'm sure we'll have you again. Take it easy. Thank you. Appreciate that. Take care. Okay. Be well and be safe. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.